What's up, you dirtbags? We are live at Con Expo in the Diamond Mowers booth. I've got my co-host here, Mr. Luke Payne. Luke, how you doing today, brother? Doing great. Uh, feels good to be finally at our first live it's show. Like, oh, Dude, this is the second one that we've done in person together, and I'm still like, feel like I'm looking at a computer screen. Yeah, it's crazy. No, it's, it's wild how easy it is on Zoom, yeah. and there's just one button you hit, you talk, have a couple glasses of whiskey, shut it down, go to bed. Brandon edits it. Everything's good. In person, it's a lot different, but I really like the face-to-face -face conversations. I agree. I agree. Easy, easier talking to where you don't have the technical difference. Yeah, 100%. So who do we got here today? We uh, we are sitting with Matt, with Diamond, and Kyle. We are with Columbus Point Equipment Group. What company? I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll go Columbia Point there. Columbia Point. <laughs> I can't read sometimes. I do think I need to have glasses up and a book six. And Kyle did tell us before the show he's he's feeling he's feeling like a dirt bank. I was feeling like dirt bank in Vegas. Yeah, that's kind of a dangerous word, <laughs> dirt bank Vegas. So Kyle, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you ended up in this chair, what you do, and uh, what, what we're gonna do this week in Vegas here. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, my name is Kyle Bart, I'm owner of Columbia Point Equipment Company, uh, based out of Hermiston, Oregon. Uh, we sell forts, revolting attachments. Uh, as well as dedicated forestry cultures, so bad by connected, uh, and uh, excited to tell uh, Terry's work that. Yeah, uh, so I guess look at the history about myself. Uh, my family owned a construction company, also uh, grew up in the excavation world, started out off shovel, just like uh, us kids, these other family company, I guess. Uh, kind of slowly worked my way out uh, through the ranks. Uh, ultimately became an estimator and project manager. So got to do a lot of experience with uh, project estimation and then seeing those estimates during the project here yeah. bit of flipping that those numbers back into our system to hopefully agree and become more accurate. So, so I think I think that's why my parents decided to retire, go the retirement trade and uh, I had an opportunity to, to become a, a PM for some equipment yep. that we were using. And uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, I love that because I feel like you're going to give so much value in on the business side of things, right? And then we got Matt here too, and we're going to dive in. Luke, I feel like this is the forestry vulching episode here. Matt's going to geek out. I love it. It may happen. I can't. It may happen. But how, Matt, how's the show been so far? I mean, we're Thursday today, so technically is that day two? They start Tuesday, day, day three. three. Day three. Okay. So they started on Monday, day three. How are you guys feeling? How's the, how's the traffic? Oh my gosh. Yeah, traffic has been just insane. You know, it was like Tuesday morning, they opened the doors and just the flood came the in. Floodgates. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we were standing here before everybody came in looking around like, man, we're, we're way overstaffed. Nope, not even. Yes, it was even. Yeah, yeah, for real, right? We needed more people. Uh, and it's they've been just incredibly high-quality conversations. Uh, a lot of people really interested in what we're doing. Uh, yeah, this is our first time actually uh, exhibiting here at Codex. You know, we've been here to kind of check out equipment, that sort of thing. And it, it was definitely a good Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, the booth work you guys did is incredible. I saw you set it up in the gym beforehand, yeah. and uh, it looks amazing. So yeah, thanks. Really appreciate Kudos to you on that. And then... Uh, now, how about, so when people come to the booth, like, how do you, how do they view Diamond? Do they see you guys as a, a top quality? Are they goals for price? And what would make sense? And what are they looking for when they come to this booth? Yeah, we're not going to be your price. Yeah. 
right? There are there are folks out there who build good products, right? Perfectly fine products, but at a much lower price. Um, so we're really well known. Right? We really cut our teeth uh, in this in this attachment space with our brush cutter, which is right behind us, right? Call it a mower, call it a brush cutter, whatever you want, but it's really that that super versatile tool. Uh, and we, we started right growing our dealer network probably ten years or so ago. Um, and as we started to grow, we realized just how dynamic and exciting this whole industry is. We started developing additional products to speak to the, the same users, uh, and here we are, right? And I think my favorite point to what you said is you're not the price leader. And I feel like every contractor now says they're not going to be the cheapest. So if you're not going to be the cheapest, we'd hope you're best to give the best quality stuff. So that's one thing I expect to see contractors doing. So, yeah. So putting it in, you know, because Luke and I get to work with a lot of contractors, uh, who would be a good customer as far as like maybe... What, what kind of projects they're doing, what type of revenue, maybe what size of company? Yeah, it's really going to vary, right? Um, there's there's one customer uh, profile, if you want to call them that, sure. right? Uh, someone who's doing Lansing. They've, they've got this core business that's established, and they're looking to grow that business. And frequently, brush cutting and mulching uh, is a really good way to, to generate another revenue stream. Um, you know, and then over here, we might have a guy who's digging basements. Well, when it gets cold, you can't dig that basement, right? Or at least not as effectively. So again, this brush cutter is another revenue stream. And then way over here, we've got folks who are doing dedicated land clearing, like that's their core business, right? And so we have products to speak to all of those different customers. And, and yeah, it's, it's a really cool thing. Interesting. It's, I love how you say, you know, a different revenue stream because Luke, you probably went through this too, is you know, buy your first couple pieces of equipment and you're seeing like, okay, that was not just one service you're providing, change of seasons, et cetera. So Luke, did you kind of get into land management early on or how did that look? At we you? did. Yeah. I mean, we tried to offer everything up to right? Yeah, not sure. Obviously our area pretty, pretty wooded over on the Minnesota side. Oh, so like when we lived, we would dig a basement up the lakeside. A lot of those lots are treed. Um, so yeah, we'd have to clear it, make way for the house. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely another avenue to where I feel like people can really get into it. Makes good. sure. And I think Kyle, that's why we wanted to talk to you today and just kind of break down some of those numbers. Yeah. You know, of like you know, total cost of ownership, total cost of operating, things like that. Right. Yeah, Kyle, do you mind like kind of jumping into that a little bit? Like how? Yeah, breaking down like the cost, what it takes, what you can make, even um, doing some of this stuff. Sure. Sure. So I think I think one thing that's important to, to focus on when you're when you start talking about cost of operations, uh, profit, that type of that type of stuff is understanding the fundamentals of how companies arrive at the numbers that they give to that end user for the numbers that they use in the house of their cost estimation. So the uh, fundamental break is how to get here is different for it was for free contract. So if you want to use a, a fictitious machine, let's say a lot of guys can steer with a drum ultra on. You know, skid steers these days, what are they, 150 grand? Something like that. They're getting pretty expensive. They're getting super expensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's going to be a different cost in somebody's cash for the versus financing side, basically. So uh, if you can finance a $150,000 skid steer, if you built about manufacturer financing, so they block those lights off. And say you might rough numbers off, they form not belt And the fucking payments for the skit steer call. Uh, a good way to get from that monthly payment to the top 
an hour can cost is just an estimate of how many hours is that piece of equipment going to run in your year on average. So in this case, she runs a thousand hours a year or so. It's it's safe to take that that four thousand dollars some month payment times twelve years. Yeah. Or, excuse me, twelve months. <laughs> uh, divided by a thousand dollars per year. So that's going to get you you know roughly forty eight dollars an hour of just a cost of ownership. That's just all. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not including you know, insurance and other things. Oh, okay. You can say insurance is. I mean, what do you think for, for insurance on a skid steer? Well, shoot. Just for a skid steer, I couldn't tell you offhand. I would guess probably a 2000 a year, maybe, for a full coverage. For a sure. And maybe a half or extreme mulching application like to be higher maybe, if you tell your insurance agent. No, what you're doing with it, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, that's going to add, say, 2 to $4 an hour if you spread that cost an hour over 1000 hours in a year. Uh, so by the time you added your fuel, oil, grease, if you're you know, burning or the big these costs, it's going to bring 27, 30 bucks an hour in fuel. you got a couple bucks for oil, a couple bucks for grease. You're going to be in the neighboring dollars for just that skid steer of a fox. Yep. Uh, on, a, on a drum mulcher side, if it's a $40,000 attachment, which is comp these days, uh, you know, most guys that we see just rank check for them. It's, it's more on their side that they're getting finance of attachment, unless if that's a good deal. In today's financing world, there's not so many good deals out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if it's a, if they do write a check for it, uh, here again, if the best president was, stop paying with here, you're looking at 10 bucks an hour for just the attachment. Right. Uh, if you're, if your attachment ends what has dollars worth of teeth on it, there's another. If, if you pick your teeth, getting the side and sit at their parking teeth, you get 300 hours, maybe on the set of teeth, uh, uh, yeah. you're going to be 14 bucks. So I'll stick your teeth divided by hours. You're going to get out set, which obviously you're going to drop one or two feet right off the bat anyway, because they always say that there's nothing out there. Yeah, every every time. Just every a dental block, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you guys. Your teeth costs are there. Uh, other things I like to factor in small attachments is your common, your common wear parts. So if you depreciate that entire attachment, that $40,000, if you depreciate that over an estimated lifespan, say $4,000, something like that. Uh, you still have other items like uh, maybe a drive belt. It's going to be very expensive. $1,000 for a grab belt. Bearings. Maybe your estimating to your bearing line is going to be 2,000 hours. Maybe it's going to be 4,000 hours. Yep. Uh, it's almost safer to err on the side of caution. Just factor those costs in. So it's not how blind without any $35 costs of operation of the attachment. Uh, so that in itself, with just the skid steer and the attachment, you're going to be cost 130 bucks. Yeah. But, uh, not, not to mention, you have to have your supporting me Truck, trailer, about insurance, umbrella policies, your your cost of overhead, which is going to be different for a smaller company versus a larger company. Maybe maybe this one skid steer and this truck and this trailer is 
the core business of the owner operator or it could be one of you know, 20 pieces of equipment. So taking into consideration the, the overall overhead that has to be incorporated into your cost and then slap whatever drop it out if you want it to be competitive here market. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now like if we take that example, right? So we, we sort of arrived at an operating cost of what? We'll say 130 bucks. Yeah, 130 bucks. Is that is that true cost? Like your total cost operating. Total cost. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah for for just that unit. For yeah. sure, for just that unit. And yeah. and here's the really neat part about this other tool and toolbox concept is if you're right, if you're a plumber, for example, right, and you need to dig in a septic tank or you need to trench in a line or something like that, if you've already got a lot of those base assets, all of a sudden, right, that $40,000 hit is to be a pretty easy justification if you're not waiting on a contractor who's doing that for his living, right? Um, if you can get to the job and get that job done, uh, it's like, yeah, like I say, it's just a much easier justification to, to actually increase real profits. Yeah, and another another really important factor to, to keep in mind, and it's kind of, it's almost taboo to discuss costs of operation because of quantity's difference. And these these cost estimations can vary very greatly depending on utilization. Uh, so, you know, one guy could utilize that piece of equipment for a thousand hours a year. Yep. The other guy might only do 50 hours a year. So his cost of operation is going to be exponentially higher per hour. Then the individual is going to go up at 1,500 hours. Right. Your own sheet. So that's got pile on, right? Put my salesman hat. <laughs> but uh, Mulcher really does allow you to use that machine more hours a year to spread that asset cost out, yes. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Depending on, you know, what your port business is. Again, if you're a, a dirt guy, if you're here back, and, you know, you've never... Anything in what in the vegetation management industry that could be another option of your business. Yeah, within your experience, you know, when you kind of jumped into it, was it more of just you want to utilize what you had to do some more work? Okay, because you were serving kind of uh, you doing a lot of services, or was did you have it calculated out like that, or is it kind of just? I had a rough idea. I wasn't as smart as I should have had when I first started. Like, I understand what it cost me, but I could have gone more in-depth and figured out where it's 10,000 things, right? Uh, I tried to just offer everything I could you know, to help pay for all of those assets, basically. Yeah, and I guess I'm curious, you know, when you kind of first got started, you kind of found your rough cost. I mean, what did you mark up for profit, or how did you kind of get started there? We tried to be 35%. 35%. And we, we didn't like hourly stuff, but a lot of people did like to go the hourly rate. What we found was, you know, there wasn't, you know, they wanted an hourly cost, but then they also wanted an estimate. Well, how much is that going to cost you? I don't know. If you want to go hourly, I'm going to do my best for you. You know, so that that gets tough with that. But with bulging, I feel like you know, it kind of has to be until you kind of have a detail, like price per square foot for when you've been doing it so long. You understand like how your machine operates and that type. So I'm curious then, when, if you were doing hourly and mulching. Uh, would there be like a cap, as you typically say, of like, I, I won't, I won't, I'll try not to go over this amount of hours, or how does that you just check I, in? Which I would do, I would put a clause, right? Sure. You have a budget for this project, pay my budget's five grand. Okay, if I get to that five grand point, reevaluate where I'm at. I see. You know, it's usually how I did it. Then, it, then you're not surprising people, and yeah. then you're not sending them another right. 10 grand, and they're like, what is this? Right, you know, so it's just the communication, and the way I think about it uh, is one of somebody's just 
not good at their job. Correct. And if they take, you know, weeks to complete it, they send you the bill, it's, it was always the incorrect one. Yeah. So I suppose, yeah, that, that kind of popped up in my head there, like how you did it start yeah. bill. Yeah, and one of the good ways that I've seen folks wrote that hourly conversation, uh, because you're exactly right, Luke, like uh, the the acreage per hour is going to be totally different as Nebraskans than in Michigan, right? So uh, when, you're pers- when you're approaching a prospective customer, if you say, look, buy a day from me, right? It's a relatively low investment. Uh, then let's talk about it at the end of the day, and we can realistically budget out this entire project. Based off this Based off yep. that day. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Oh. Uh, one thing that I kind of wanted to touch base, almost kind of circling back, like to look at the box type conversation. Now, man, you guys have a lot of different attachments here. You know, everyone, kind of like you had said, is going to be different on how they operate. But how do you go about, like, you know, if somebody comes to you and they're like, I want to, you know, provide this service, you know, how do you depict what's attached and is best with what, if that makes sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And, and yeah. So we've got a lot of different products that do very different things. And and so uh, maybe I'll just take a quick second so I'll kind of yep. walk you through. Yep. Right? So that opening product that got us into the space, the brush cutter, is one over here on our left, which one of your uh, listeners can see. Yep. Super helpful, right? So it's just got three big blades on it, and it re- literally slices and dices the material, right? And so if you're looking to knock down a lot of acreage with relatively small material, understanding that your finish isn't going to be super good, right? It's oh, not going to yeah. it's not going to create a small chip like a mulcher will. Yeah. Uh, but if your customers don't necessarily care about that, it's a it's a relatively low point of entry and it's a very low operating cost, yeah. right? Yeah. So you know, Kyle was mentioning the, the cost of teeth, and it's almost zero on these things, right? Right. It's yeah. just blades, and they go for a long time, and it's also it it actually consumes less fuel, right, than a true mulcher does. So then. Sort of the next step up uh, from a pricing perspective is going to be close to our disc mulchers. Uh, we've got one now that, that uh, kind of broke that mold, and I'll probably talk about that here in a second. Uh, but, but a disc mulcher, right, tends to, tends to produce uh, a, a smaller chip than a brush cutter does, but a larger chip than a drum mulcher does, right? But they are all about speed. So as long as the material is relatively small, say the size of a coffee can or less, six inches tall, uh, there's nothing faster what you can put on the front of a skin sphere than a disc. Yeah, and the way it does that, not to nerd out too soon here, uh, but it uses all that momentum in this giant flywheel to, to really uh, capture the energy coming out of your machine and spread it out over the long the time. It's funny, as you're talking that you have to figure it out where this is right now, so I'm like, okay, seeing what you're talking Right, so so if you're seeing it, and, and you guys should definitely check us out, uh, all you dirt fakes should absolutely check us out on YouTube, the way these things work is they grab a tree, they suck it in, and it's gone, like, in a second. Literally a second, right? So, again, it's all about speed. So everything's a give and take. So the take on a disc uh, is that the chips, uh, like I mentioned earlier, tend to be larger than what you get on a drum, but they throw stuff at right? So if you're trying to, if you're approaching a municipality and you want to do roadside work, they are the wrong tool, right? You are going to throw stuff all up the road. It's going to be really dangerous for cars that have come past you. So it's not the tool for that. Uh, however, if you're doing land reclamation, you know, uh, out in the Mali or something like that, it's, it's really an ideal tool. Okay? Now, the top of the price point is going to be your drums. So your drums are really all about flexibility. Uh, they handle larger material better uh, than, than your discs do. Um, and they tend to produce uh, a really small, attractive chin. 
So contractors who are doing like residential lot development, uh, you know, if you've got this this big company that owns a large tract of land, they'll subdivide those out. And there's actually a lot of folks who make a living going into that lot, prepping it a couple of days before they're going to show that lot. And they'll just produce this beautiful chip, which helps that that land owner sell that lot. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and, and so drums are great for that. They also tend to control their chips a lot better. So they're the tool of choice for your roadside work and that kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, there we go. Um, I, I saw you scratching that itch a little bit. Oh I don't want to do it all yet, but, <laughs> but, but, but I do, but I do. <laughs> the drum awesome. mulchers, you get, there's a bunch of different applications for the drum mulchers, right? So you could put them on, I've seen them on tractors with like the extension of the rear, yep. seen them on excavators, backhoes, uh, skid steers, anything else. Yeah, no, and then, you know, like Kyle mentioned earlier, the big dedicated machines where where it's, uh, right, looks like a dang bulldozer yeah. from yeah. Ultra those, those, Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and so we uh, we tend to focus on, I'm only in steer space, and, but we're aggressively building out our excavated portfolio. Okay. Um, so we have brush cutters, we have disc mulchers, we have drum mulchers for excavators as well. Uh, you know, most of this conversation has been centered around skid steers. Like, you tell me, are your listeners going to be more in that uh, CTL skid steer space, or do you want to broaden things out and talk excavators? I would see more skid steers, to be honest with you. Oh, just because I feel like everybody from their mom has a skid steer. Right. Yeah. It's that do-all thing. It, right? it is. Yep. Yeah. Then I'll jump in there, too. So tell me, you know, either one of you guys, what would be the benefits, pros and cons to having one on your excavator compared to the skid steer lake? We out there. Oh, and you guys look at me. <laughs> um, so it's going to depend on the terrain that you're working in and what the customer wants or needs. So in our area, it's fairly safe to say that a a skid steer or something like a like a drill halter on a skid steer is going to be more productive for easier on flatter terrain. A smaller band of trees, so just because you have that working with, so now, now we're starting to talk about production rates. So if you have that that working on per side, thing it's called diameter stuff, you can carry a lot. Versus an excavator is going to be a better tool for a maybe And in our area, for service, they prefer to have excavator vultures. For a couple of reasons, you know, if one of them they care if you're working here, drain if it's fritz, they, they don't want machines to get in close to that drainage area. So you have regional region with the, the masticator. The other reason is if, if your road probably lives, they put a new mounted machine because you get a screenshot and sign up a road. So it's kind of a trade off. What if for area you are work to the tech work is going to be cheap business. So, yeah. And I, I, I'd act, so that's all really good stuff. And I, and I have a simpler answer. If you need to mulch or cut where you can't drive, an excavator is the tool of choice, right? If you have to reach to the work. And sometimes that means over a ditch, over a fence, up in a, up in a tree. Bit right? did, 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 did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, skid loaders are going to deal more horsepower, per, are going to deliver more horsepower per dollar than an excavator. Yep, and that's where that high production uh, per acre comes from. Right. Within the country, do you have a certain area where you are 
have blown up or like where do you sell the most attachments? Yeah, uh, so the southeast. And it okay. really, like if you look at a, a rainfall chart, sure. yeah. that's right. That's where we play. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. where it rains, we play. That's right. That's right. So not much in Arizona? Uh, very, very little. But, you know, and hey, let's let's talk about those two. Yeah. So, um, so Arizona, uh, New Mexico, Colorado, Montana, Idaho, uh, California, Oregon, Washington, right? Uh, it's fire country. Yeah. And, and, and it's a huge issue, right? And and mulchers or uh, drop the other M word, right? The masticators. So let's just let's just get that one out of the way. So depending on where you are in the country, uh, either call these tools mulchers or masticators. You've never heard the word before. You giggle the first time. That's okay. But it's like chewing, right? It's yeah, exactly. You do tags, knock it off, knock it off. What you say? <laughs> so we'll call them mulchers from here on out. That's the same thing. Same thing. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so fire is a huge deal, and, and mulchers are incredibly useful to help protect roads, houses, that kind of thing, right? Just keeping all that underbrush away from those structures uh, so that not if but when a fire comes through, it's not a, it's not a, uh, you're getting rid of those latitudes, right? So it's not a canopy fire, it's a ground fire, which is much easier to control. Do you, do you work with fire departments, any different... Yeah, so not necessarily fire departments. We're working with folks on the front end of the fire. I see. So I we're, we'll, we'll, we'll work with your landowner. That's frequently the federal government, right? So BLM, Forest Service. Um, and, and those folks will kind of split their strategy. Sure. Uh, sometimes we own the equipment more commonly, though. Uh, and how you, I'd like your perspective here, too. Uh, they're hiring contractors to come in and do that work. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's kind of two things that we're seeing in our area. Uh, option one being uh, cost share programs for uh, federal agencies that will pay for part of fuels reduction program on a zanning property. Uh, and the other is, like you stated, of its BL Forest Service, they will hire contractors to directly tend perform forest fuel reduction on their properties. Yep. Hey, I suppose I better define BLM too here. This is the Bureau of Land. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 I think we talked about that before. Yeah. <laughs> It's good stuff. Oh, sorry. So we're talking kind of, I think an opportunity you guys are talking about these companies. Like, is there, you know, in your guys' realm to where do you see certain areas that are busier than others and like certain mowers that are selling more than others, but you see opportunity, say like a brush cut, right? There's maybe not as many or just more brush cutters or as dismalters, whatever. If, you know, what are these people getting into? How can other people do yeah, and so it's it's going to vary uh, significantly uh, portion where you're at. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so to get very broad and generic, you know, um, in the southeast, there's going to be a lot of development work, uh, that residential development that I was talking about. Uh, there's also a lot of, you know, I'll, I'll just call it residential maintenance. You know, uh, stuff goes like crazy when it's hot and when it's wet, and it just it has to be controlled somehow, and there's really good tools to do that. Uh, so for a, from a contractor's perspective, you know, your prospective customers are going to be residential landowners, uh, farmers, ranchers, uh, and then your large, right? Um, when you get into the Northeast, it's, it's similar, but your coins tend to be shorter. So we see, you know, from our perspective, there's a little bit less opportunity up there. Uh, in the Midwest, uh, there's this thing happening that's called the Green Glacier. Okay, so cedar trees are, are growing like crazy. 
Uh, historically, they were controlled by fire, by grass fires. Um, and, and then probably starting 100 years ago or so, they were planted uh, shelter balls, and then they just exploded. So a mature cedar tree is going to drink 20 to 30 gallons of water in here, which is going to, which is water that's not going to grow grass. So in the heart of the country, it's, it's cow-calf, all pairs, right? It's cattle country. Um, and uh, news to no one, housey, grass, mud trees. Uh, so as that cedar tree is sucking up that grass, it's re- or sorry, sucking up the water, it's reducing the amount of grass that that particular acre can produce, which reduces a rancher's called carrying capacity, right? The fewer animals that can, can be affected and fed on that acre, uh, which, you know, surprise to no one, if you reduce your carrying capacity, you're also impacting your profits. So we see a lot of folks in, in the center of the country, from Texas all the way up to North Dakota, uh, either are a large egg producer um, and, and they're buying mulchers to control uh, to control those cedars or lots of contractors are spreading up where that's their primary focus, right? I think just wrote an aftercare brief for people looking to get it. I've honestly, yeah. that, I've never really thought of like trees harming like yeah. farmland by taking up water. Well, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, how else would they grow? Yeah, and, and just to shamelessly plug, yeah. yeah, I mean, so that's just multiple. So we talked about uh, we talked about bigger chips, and we talked about spreading those chips. So one of the things that this mulcher does a nice job of is not producing a pile of chips on the ground, which grass can't grow through, right? You know, so a drum, if you're not careful, will tend to produce a chip bed, which also reduces your carrying capacity. Uh, so those discs fling everything out. Uh, it actually helps us control explosion too, uh, but it doesn't impact your your force drive, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and then you know we talked about uh, the fire issues out west. I, well, we can certainly dive deeper into that. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean I think there's huge opportunity, especially like we were talking about California. Yeah, over, I think it's over 600 inches of snow in the season right now. With all that moisture, I can't just imagine. It's gonna throw like crazy. Yeah, and then at some point it's gonna get dry, and it's gonna fire timber box out yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. So can we address the big elephant in the room behind us? I love that elephant. I mean, yeah, yeah we yeah, gotta yeah. talk about right. that because we. Haven't talked much about it yet, and this is a big deal. Yeah, it really is. Okay, so um, here at Con Expo, we launched what we're calling our Bell Drive this muncher. Um, so this is what this this product right increases your production twenty to thirty percent over all the other discs out there, and we're, we've got some really neat engineering uh, in it. But but the numbers are twenty to thirty percent, and it's a thirteen second school time. If you've never run a disc before, a traditional disc mulcher is anywhere from thirty to fifty seconds school time. And school time is right turn the high flow on, and then you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs or listening to the podcast while the thing comes up to speed before you can uh, before you can get to work. So the faster this thing spools, the faster it recovers, the more work you get done. the The name of the game with a disc mulcher is is recovery time. So they, they, they look like a giant flywheel. Every time you grind a tree, you're going to slow that flywheel down. So you've got to spool it back up. You've got to uh, speed it back up, right? And that's where all this torque that's coming from this belt drive really comes in. So what was the process of the idea, engineering it, coming to launch it? You can see launched it here. And yeah. How does that all work? Yeah, it's, it's, it literally is a process. Yeah. If I brought you over to Diamond Fours, I can I can show you the actual process that we use from ideation all the way to launch. Um, How long did, did that take? Oh gosh, this one 
this one's been two, two and a half years. It was a big one. It was a big one. So what's, what really is cool about this product, though, is that we're using technology that already exists. Sure. So um, the, the, the parts and pieces on this are actually very similar to the parts and pieces that we're using on a, on a drum mulcher. Okay. So drum mulchers uh, have historically used what's called a variable displacement hydraulic motor. Okay, we're, we're going to nerd out here. Let's go. For Sorry it. about that. All right. Yeah, it's, here, here we go. Here we go. All right. Uh, so a variable. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. And a drum mulcher has also used a belt for the last 20 years or better to transfer that energy from the motor to the cutting assembly or the drum, right? The drum itself. So a disc mulcher has traditionally been built with a direct drive fixed displacement motor. So it, it works like that single speed bicycle that we all learn, right? There's no, there's no shifting. A variable displacement motor effectively puts a transmission into the mulcher. So now, just like when you're, when you're running that stick shift, right? And you need a lot of torque and relatively low speed, you should keep your first gear, right? This motor does that automatically for you. When you first just turn your high flow on, it's relatively low speed, but you need a lot of torque. So it goes into what's called a high displacement mode, right? Where it can gobble up all that hydraulic oil and generate three times more torque than what's ever been available to the disc, right? Now, as that thing spools up, just like a transmission, it's gonna shift into your high speed mode. So you can now achieve the, that that pretty fast thousand RPM speed that you need to be effective with a disc motor. So when you unveil it here at Con Expo, people are coming checking it out. Is that something that is, is available purchase are you only selling the dealers how does that yeah great question uh, we, we we do a little bit of a mixed bag so we have we have dealers all across the country right Columbia point included yeah yeah and um, and and so if a prospective customer comes into our booth and they're in they're close to that dealer we'll generally route that sale right it's clear uh, if however there's no dealer coverage wherever this individual lives he will sell direct and and most manufacturers handle one thing I really like about you guys and Diamond in general is what attracted Luke and I is that you want to just help with a contract. Whether that's with Diamond or with another company, you want to get them the, the attachments that they need, whether that's price point, whether that's the uh, the job that they're trying to complete. And so that I know that attracted me. I was like, okay, they just want to add value, be a resource for people uh, instead of just trying to like, push your brand. Yeah, for sure. We we like to approach the conversations from a business perspective, right? Um, I haven't been, <laughs> the past couple of minutes notwithstanding, I haven't been sitting here bragging about how thick our steel is, how big the blades are, and all that right. stuff, right? So that stuff's cool, and it's important, and you have to get those details right. Yeah. But if you don't put the right tool to the right job, it, all, all that engineering work is, is no good, right? Absolutely. I think do verification is really big, too. Like you were saying, attracted. I know when I, this was back in 2019, my, my local Bobcat dealer, they're not, this is some you guys, or so I'm lower dealer for guys, my sales guy, very education, very educated off product. And I don't know if maybe it's just them thing, but like no other dealership would like, uh, they wouldn't offer any type of depth at our Bobcat dealer did. So yeah, we love it. On that, on that note about the fairy house place, here's historically speaking, that's, that's one thing we have really uh, done a great job uh, doing for our customers is making sure that those those motors are tuned correctly uh, because a, a big thing that I've seen out of the market class is a contractor purchases a head and the head heads shipped to them and there's no support 
beyond that, they you know, either send us, hey, hook up the hoses, you're good to go. Well, with a variable's place promoted, that's not necessarily the case because there can be, you know, flow discrepancies in identical cheats. Uh, so it, it's it's a it's a really important thing and it's not a fundamental part of our business model is be a site and doing that that setup with those where variable displays of loaders making sure that they're coming to that cheap because let me tell you what nothing will run worse than a miss a two or maybe I don't want culture <laughs> uh, you know we can make any brand look good yeah so sure, sure. Sure. but Kyle then what's the benefit to the property to Production, yeah, production, production, production. Uh, just like I'm uh, having that ability to go into a, a higher core. Uh, you get increased, increased recovery times in your rotor RPM, uh, as well as the increased torque in the cut. Drum holder, you, you, you still work off of an air shaft and drums, but we do much of hit the torque than you would in a disc situation. So having properly two hit, uh, if you're going to take out the length of the train, and you're getting more in that, that first gear, like you're talking about, um, you know, if having that proper tube head working in, in sync with the machine, uh, that's going to lead. It's going to be your highest, highest productivity. Is that something they need to read to it then, or what does that maintenance look like? No, typically once you tune it to that machine, it's good to go. Well, if, they take, if they take that attachment off of that machine, they put it on another one, that would hurt to redo is to double check things. Yeah, and come to come back to this belt drive. So now, finally, you can tune this multi gear machine, right? So you can you can dial in that speed. We can dial in that torque curve. You can you can get it to perform at its maximum, which you can't do with the fixed displacement motor. Yeah, right. yeah. And there's there's a few other uh, uh, aspects of this product that I, I feel like we should talk about. Um, one of the other shortfalls that we've seen in some of the real high out use contractors, right? So this is the guys in Nebraska that are chewing up those cedar trees all day long, right? Well, the, a part of Nebraska is called the sand hills. It's super, super abrasive. And, um, and over time, you can wear through that shell. So drum mulchers, we address this in our drum mulchers with a replaceable liner. And we've done that with belt drive teeth, right? So top to bottom, this new belt drive is, is designed and optimized for that contract it was making. It's things. Yeah. What are like biggest wear items that like team? Like, is there certain things that contractors have to look out for with knowers, anything like that as far as like maintenance? Yeah. So, so teeth 10 to 1, 20 to 1, 50 to 1 is the biggest one, right? They, they do wear out over time. Um, you know, and perhaps we should even get into steel versus carbide yep. here a little yep. bit, right? Um, but beyond teeth, it starts to spread out nice. Okay, so we've got miners are a wear item. Skid shoes are a wear item. Uh, and then your belts is going to be a wear item. But we're talking, you know, 1,000 hours, 1,500 hours, and a lot of these components outside it. So it's pretty spread out. That makes sense. Steel and carbide, where would you recommend one of you? Yeah, for sure. So... Before we can talk teeth, we have to talk a little bit about drum fundamentals, right? So uh, there's a there's a, a class of drum mulchers out there called death control. If you look at them, they've got like rings on it, and those rings act just like the rake around chainsaw chain, right? It, it limits how deep the teeth, the tooth holder can cut into the wood, right? Um, and then on the other side of the coin, there's what's called an open style drum. So a death control drum is really optimized for steel teeth, and it works exactly like you think it does. When that steel tooth hits the wood, it creates a jet. Okay, an open drum, when it's designed really well, works fundamentally differently. 
So it's designed for a carbide tooth. If you make a fist, your fist looks like that carbide tooth. And the open drum actually works by pulling up a whole piece of material, like a whole log, the whole limb, and then shattering that, that, that piece of wood in between the rotating group, the drum, and the shell, okay? So it's like a kinetic, it's like a little explosion there, right? Uh, and, and so once you understand that the two products that work fundamentally differently, you understand that they solve two fundamentally different problems. This, yeah, so a depth control drum with its sharp steel teeth is really your best choice when the wood gets big. Right when the wood gets too big to fit into that throat, um, that's where it comes to shine. An open drum, because it's designed rock carbide teeth, which are super durable, they handle abrasion, they handle impact really well, is your best choice when the cone gets tough, right? When you're in rocky terrain, when the material's a little bit smaller. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, is there like a size limit to certain Look, you know, we were talking earlier to where. It would do. Is it called like a gap or something? If it one of them, or it has to yeah. get a little bit that for mess up. Yeah, we call that the throat that you want to be able to eat. Um, so if you can fit a piece of material into that throat, we usually target about six inches or less. Um, you're going to see really high productivity. Realistically, all of us manufacturers rate our, our mulchers, whether it's a drum or a disc, at where where we feel the mulcher is going to be the most productive. Look, you can you can mulch a thirty inch tree. You're gonna chew on it for a real long time. But you can do. That makes sense. my next question is: How do they find? You know, what is what is the sales process like for that? Do they go to your guys' website? Like you search for them, but then like dealers where we or dealers by me is it kind of set up that way? Yeah, uh, lots of different ways. So we we're at Con Expo, so clearly we're marketing, right? Yeah, we're we're go. we're looking for people. Uh, yeah, and so we'll market. We've got a pretty pretty uh, substantial YouTube library. You know, we know a lot of people research us out there. Uh, find us on the website diamondbowers.com, right? And and we'll have a lot of these same product application type information out there for, for, for folks who want to do some research. And then, yeah, a lot of folks, um, you know, especially who are coming at this from another tool in the toolbox perspective, you know, if you're a Caterpillar guy, if you're a Bobcat guy, you have a relationship with that dealer, pretty good chance that dealer is also leaving here at Dr. Mowers. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned YouTube. I want to touch on the YouTube. What are, like, what are your videos? Is it kind of like explanation well, videos? Like, pod, here's this pod. piece does here to where it's best applicated. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the YouTube video that has by far the most views, which tells me that it's the most valuable to the public, right, is it's, it's a rip by YouTube standards, super long, it's five minutes. But it actually shows you how to operate one of these disc vultures. Because when we launched that video, a disc vulture was brand new. Nobody knew what the heck it was. Um, and it's it's a, it's a piece where you have to be an operator to really get, get the multi out of it. Yeah, so we... Like every good video, we launched that video to solve a problem, to teach people how to run a product that we shamelessly want to sell, right? right? Um, and, and people look at that a lot. And so we've, we've taken that mold, we've condensed it down, but we've applied that same thought process to our other products. So you can, you can get some longer videos and tell you, like I say, how to use it. Uh, we've also got some shorter overviews, just what it is, what it was, that kind of thing. Yeah. Matt, I've got a question for you too. So, uh, Picturing somebody, you know, listening to this that's interested, but maybe isn't as confident in their numbers or how to find this true cost and everything. Is that something that like Dime would kind of supports them with of like checking out where they're at? You know, this so much is going to cost. How do you help? Yeah. So as the manufacturer, 
we typically won't get that deep. Right. So you'd say it'd probably be in contact people that are currently using the Batman Globus attachments. Do you ever recommend anyone to reach out to in like an area? Or? Well, yeah, your viewers. So I have right. a great example, right? Right. right? right? Um, he, he, he lists off some super relevant numbers. Yeah. And they're going to be very relevant for the Pacific Northwest, where, where, right where he's doing business. And that's the value that a really good dealer, that's one of many values, rather, that a great dealer provides as they help make sure that you understand what you're getting into. Right. And like we were talking about earlier, just being educated on the product and how to use it, how to tune it, how to go out and make money. But yeah, so how many dealers are you guys in currently? Man. So we think in terms of deal locations, I, I think it's like four or 500. It's a big number. Yeah. Yeah. Is that... So basically, anyone in the country can find you. Yeah. So we we have uh, we have very good representation in in the southeast, in the northeast, in the Midwest, um, and we're growing rapidly and hard in the in the west. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, we also uh, have have good representation in Canada. Uh, I'm going to be going to Australia here pretty soon to support right. our awesome. dealer down under. Yeah, that's right. There's some shrimp on the Barbie. Um, yeah. you know, uh, Barbie? uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stop with the Australian accent. I feel like I'll get out of hand real fast. Um, yeah, I, with diamond, I've traveled to Brazil, to Chile. It's yeah, it's, it's really an internet, an international thing. That's incredible. Yeah. Just since Luke and I have been working with the whole blind team, it's been awesome to see uh, the impact that you guys have on the industry and also how, well, how it makes sense, you know, for Luke and I to kind of work with you guys, because our big thing is providing resources, educational resources, value to the contractors that are dirt banks out there and that you know, are looking to improve their business. So I think it really helps diving into these numbers and these attachments of like how they could potentially use this extra tool in their tool belt, uh, and then also how they could just keep this. Yeah, absolutely. Close the bulb. Guys, I think we have that was a podcast. That was fantastic. The fact that we just flew through that right now, I mean, that went so fast. Yeah. But any uh, any closing words? And I just want to say again, thank you. Thank you too for being here. Thank you, Diamond and, and you, Bad, just for uh, being open. Hosting us. Yeah. Hosting us, being open to all of this. And uh, we're super excited to just keep you know, working together and keep this train. Yeah, this, this has been fun, right? It's every engineer's dream to be in front of people. Yeah. Nope. Nope. The, nope. Sure the, isn't. One of the very few engineers that is so personal. And yes. So, but no, this has been awesome. I really appreciate that you guys are doing as well. You know, Al's lovely point. Really appreciate you know you and all the rest of our dealers. Right. We wouldn't. There's no chance we'd be where we are today without without the work that you do. Yeah. That's please. Thank you, sir. If there's one thing that I can close with, as as words of wisdom to all of those operators out there, uh, it's that there's two ways to go broke. One is to be the cheapest guy on every bolt, and one is to be the most expensive guy on every bit. So, uh, don't be that guy out there trying to bolt for 125 bucks an hour. <laughs> I like it. I like that. Well, again, guys, thank you so much. I think that's a wrap. That's a pod.